You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. So this morning we're going to be continuing our series on um, unsung heroes. So let me ask you this. How many of you over the years, you've had great ideas, um, but you just never did anything with them? Yeah? We have two. So I always get in trouble when I use Susan in a sermon, so I'm about to get in trouble. But um, some of you may not know that my wife is a, is a, uh, was a research and development chemist. And so back in the early 90s, we had, she had this idea of taking um, grout and putting stuff in it that would make it resistant to mold and mildew and all that kind of stuff. And we thought, you know, this isn't the season of life to do it. We won't do that. We'll just hold it and wait it for another season of life. Well, then another company comes along in Huntersville called Microban, and they basically create exactly the same thing and patent it. Now, I'm going to tell you, we don't regret it much, but every once in a while, every once in a while, we regret for not having done that um, because we, she already knew how to do it. She had already figured it out, but nobody had done it or patented it. But, um, you know, other people go ahead and they put their uh, ideas and they put legs on those ideas, and we're better off for it. Um, they have this this innate uh, desire to go ahead and act and act now. Thomas Edison was one of those type of people, right? Our world is better today because Thomas and Edison created things. He invented things. Did you know that Thomas Edison had 1,093 patents himself? 1,093 patents. Um, not only the light bulb, that's the, what he's most famous for, but man, there's so many other things. Uh, the earliest motion picture camera was created by him but we're better off as a as a world not just a nation but a world but our nation is better because some people put their ideas not their inventions but their ideals into action and they put act behind their thoughts i know that um we're better today because abraham lincoln right he had these convictions and because he had these convictions he moved to action and so it brought about emancipation and it brought about a change for our nation because he was willing to do it. His ideas forced him to act. His actions led him to the White House and to be able to do what he did. And today we still say that he's one of the best presidents we ever had because he was, he was moved to act. Other people are moved to act. I would say right with him is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., right? The, he was moved uh, to, to lead when... Um, when it was dangerous to lead. Uh, And because he did, we have the civil rights movement, um, and he became the most effective change agent during that time. Um, And we have equality for all people in our nation because of his leadership and those who led around him. Just like that, though, around the world, people like, I think of um, Mother Teresa in Calcutta, India, right? She sees this need of the impoverished and the hungry there and is forever changed. And she says that she cannot go back to her life the way that it was. But she didn't just go and do something. She didn't just go and buy something or just create a not-for-profit. She went and actually moved in to the slums that she wanted to minister to there in India and forever uh, began to bring... um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, focus on the needs of the people who are impoverished around the world, uh, people who are hungry, people who are without. And again, she wanted to relieve suffering. But she put action 
to what she saw and what she felt and what she thought. We put this in your notes. Dr. Albert Einstein says this. He says, The world's a dangerous place, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look on and do nothing. Now we see these same types of stories in Scripture. You know, Noah risked 120 years of his life to build a boat for an event that he'd never seen before. There'd never been a flood before. He didn't know what that looked like, especially on that magnitude. It's never happened since. But he risked, right? He put action to what he thought, what he believed, what he knew. And he risked that. David decided he was going to step up and face a giant. He put action to his thoughts when everybody else was running scared. Barnabas did the same thing. Barnabas goes, I'm going to move this. This is distracting me. Is this distracting y'all? It's distracting me. Um, Barnabas um, took the action to bring Saul, the, the Christian killer, right, right into the middle of the early church um, because he, he had an, this desire to act. He believed in something. He knew something. There was something inside of him that said this is, this is what's supposed to be. And so he, he put action to it. I have this thought. If the word says that God doesn't change, right? It says that, it says that in Malachi 3.8, God says, for I am the Lord God and I do not change. Right? Hebrews 13 and 8 says this. It says of Jesus that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God is the same God right, who met all of these people in the midst of uh, where they were when they acted, I've got to believe that God is still looking for people who are willing to take a step. They're willing to put uh, action to their beliefs. See, that's faith. I mean, think about it. I can believe something, but if I just sit still, have I really done anything with my beliefs? I haven't. But when I step out, that's my faith. And so these individuals uh, throughout the Bible, we see, I put faith to their actions. And I think God's still looking for the same thing. He's looking for you and I. He's looking for us to put action to what we believe, to step out when it doesn't make sense, when we see something, we know something, we hear something inside. I'm not talking about just taking a risk. I'm not saying go down to you know, Cherokee and start putting slots in and say, I'm, I'm, I'm believing that God's going to do something. I'm not talking about that kind of risk. I'm talking about a biblical risk, a spiritual risk, something that you feel inside that God is speaking to you to do. It's that. I don't know if you guys remember a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, um, we had a, a video here, and the guy actually spoke in Cornelius, and his name was Justin Reeder. Justin was the local businessman in Charlotte who got his heart wrecked by the Holy Spirit on the, the situation of the unborn and those that were being aborted in Charlotte. And so last year, um, he started this thing where he was going to rally the churches together. For 40 weeks, the churches would pray, and then they would go to the, the abortion clinics, and they would walk, prayer walk, and pray, and that's it. No picketing, no, no arguing, no yelling, no chanting, no nothing, just prayer. Last year, we had 80 churches participate, and 10,000 people joined in that prayer. They had 411 families choose life. They were walking into the abortion clinic, and they turned around and they walked out. 
they had one lady who worked in the abortion clinic and she walked out recently in like the last two months. She literally just walked out on a Saturday while everyone was praying out there and she said, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. I can't walk here. Will you, will you explain this whole thing to me? So they led her to the Lord. She's, she's attending one of the four, partnering four, 80 churches now and being discipled because one person put their beliefs into action. They he took a stand and he rallied the body of Christ. This is in your notes. You and I will never take big hills without making bold moves. It's a bias to action that's going to position us to see God work. Today, most people have accustomed, grown accustomed to playing it safe. But I'm going to tell you, that's not our heritage. That's not how our founding fathers played it. That is not how... Um, our denomination's founder, Amy Simple McPherson, that's not how she played it. And I'm going to tell you, I've met Dr. S.K. and Emily Clanton, the founders of Grace Covenant Church. And that is not the way they played it either. Listen, a barber and a cracker packer planted this church because they believed that they, God was calling them to. They did not play it safe at all. They went to a Cornelius was not even a town that they lived in. They lived in Charlotte. They had to drive up to Cornelius. That was whenever you would, like there was like lots of woods and country between the two. But they did not play it safe. There's a quote in your notes. It's by Bob Moad. It says this, most people don't aim too high and miss. They aim too low and they hit. I'm going to tell you, even for Dr. Clanton and Miss Emily, when they planted Grace Covenant Church, they didn't aim. I wouldn't say that they aimed low. They, most of us, when we do it, we just participated in one. Most of us, if we were going to do a tent revival today even, I mean, typically even when I was growing up, they were a week long. The Clantons, they decided they were going to do a six-week tent revival. I think that's, you're planning on doing something, right? They, they aimed high. Well, 12 weeks later, that tent revival is still going, and they got to move it indoors because fall's coming. I mean, it's just that's how the church began here because someone aimed high versus aiming low. Today, we're going to look at the story of Jonathan. That's going to be our unsung hero for today. He, this is King Saul's son, best friend to uh, what was soon, later to be King David. Um, but I'm going to tell you, he didn't aim low either, and he didn't miss. He had this, this bent towards action and we want to look at that today he had this this there was something inside of him that compelled him to move uh past just thinking about it and move towards acting to it so before we get into our text this morning which by the way is in first samuel chapter 14 before we get into that i want to give you just a little bit of background so the philistines um have never been removed from the land the way that joshua told the Israelites, right? He said, you've got to remove them completely from the land. And they did not do it. They did not re- fully remove them. And so here we are still uh, a generation later, and they're still dealing with the Philistines because they, this is one of the groups that they did not pull them out. And so the Philistines um, are occupying a territory that is in southwest Israel, and it's between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. And throughout King Saul's reign, his entire reign, this is who he's going to be dealing with is the Philistines. This is is his number one problem. There are a couple of other nations who come along, but ultimately the Philistines are his number one problem that he is constantly dealing with. Um, It was the Philistines 
that um, were the ones that had Goliath and and all of that kind of stuff. But they, throughout his reign, they keep dealing with the Philistines over and over and over again. And so, First Samuel thirteen, the chapter before we're gonna before our text today, says this that. The Philistines, oh, I'm sorry. And at this time, the Philistines had grabbed some Jewish land, some Israel land, and they had actually taken the occupants of that portion into captivity. And so now we, you know, it's on at that point, right? It's on like Donkey Kong. It's going to happen. And so they've, they've taken some of our people. They've taken some of our land. And here we go. And so in ver- chapter 13, it says that the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots. 6,000 charioteers in those chariots. And it says of this in verse 5, it says, and soldiers as numerous as sand on the seashore. Now what makes this even worse is that Saul's army has no real weapons. In fact, it says that Saul and Jonathan are the only two people in all of Israel who have a sword or a spear. Everybody else has makeshifts because there were the blacksmiths in the land were Philistines. And so they weren't making swords for anybody else. They weren't making spears for anybody else. And so they don't have anything. So I don't know what we had. I don't know if we had pitchforks. I don't know if we had billy clubs. I don't know what we had, but we didn't have real tools. We didn't have real uh, things for battle. We didn't have real swords or spears or anything like that. In verse 6, it says this. This was their mindset. When the men of Israel saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. So here's the situation. Saul's outnumbered. He has no real weapons. And on top of that, everybody's scared. And they're hiding. They're hiding in the caves. They're hiding in the uh, holes. Any place they can find to hide, the army is, is hiding. And it's at this moment, right here, is where Jonathan steps into action. This is where God puts something into Jonathan's heart, and he, and he steps to it. He steps up to it. So let's read this story, beginning uh, chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. It says this, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in your mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then. We'll cross over toward them and let them see us. And if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we'll climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, so the, the Philistines, the Hebrews, are crawling out of their holes where they're hiding. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come on up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area the size of half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and the field and those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shook, and it was panic sent by God. 
So if we read on in this, we find that Israel routes the Philistines. So what is lining up to be a slaughter of the Israelites ends up being um, their victory. Because Jonathan has this bias to action. Jonathan's willing to put faith to what he believes. He's willing to step out based on what he believes. And when he does, God puts one in the wind column for him. Does it for Israel. So this morning, I want to talk to you about Jonathan and his bias to action. So the first thing is, is this, is that he didn't wait for the opportunity. He created it. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come on up with me. Let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Now I'm going to tell you, I agree that there are times whenever we need to exercise patience. There are times when we have to wait for the opportunities to present themselves. Uh, it is not like run headlong into everything. But in the realm of faith, the realm of will God go before us? The answer to that is yes, God will always go before us. The Holy Spirit doesn't follow us. Let me, I didn't intend to say this, but I just thought this. Sometimes I think we think that the Holy Spirit's got our back. No, the Holy Spirit is leading us. The Word says that when I send Him, when Jesus sent Him, that the Comforter will come and He will lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is in the front. We, this is our hands. It's not us saying, come on, Holy Spirit, let's go do this. Look, He is leading us. There's a difference in that. In the realm of faith, God is always going before us. But we are, we're going to be required to act. We're going to be required to do something. We're going to be required to, to step in before we can see what's ahead, before we know what's going to happen. The second thing is, is this, is Jonathan's initiative fueled his confidence. He said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, when we were discussing this, this sermon outline together with some of the pastors, Pastor Michelle Hoverson said this, and I actually wrote it down. She said, we should expect a mighty God to show up in a strong way on behalf of his children. Not just sometimes, all the time. We should expect that. How many times have we made determinations based on confidence in what we can do, what we think, what we know, what we can handle, or maybe even some assessment, our own assessment of the possibility of a positive outcome? We oftentimes make these determinations based on this, but we have to make our determinations not on that. We have to make our determinations based on our confidence in God and what he will do. And that's what Jonathan did. He had a confidence in God that he could do something, whether by many or by few. It didn't matter. But God could do it. And he had a confidence that God would show up. Here's another one. So I said, and I specifically said that um, about we make determinations. You and I make determinations all the time. So we tell ourselves that we make decisions. Personal belief. I don't believe that we as believers make a lot of decisions. I think we make a lot of determinations. As best I can tell, I have one decision that I have to make every day. When I hear the voice of the Lord today, will I do it as he asks? That is my one decision to make. After that, everything else is a determination. I determine on what is my course of action to do what he's asked me to do. I determine what's the next step so that it'll get me to what the will of God is and what I feel like he's leading me to do. I 
make a determination. Are there people, are there churches that I can partner with? Are there people that I can partner with? Is there someone who will go with me wherever I'm going, whatever God's asking me to do? That's a determination, not a decision. The decision is I will do what God asked me to do. And every day we have that decision, not determinations. We don't make lots of decisions. We make lots of determinations. That's a bonus. Nobody else is getting that but you. Jonathan's last thing that I want to point out is this. I'm sorry, I got two more. His proactive response. So Jonathan makes a proactive response, and it opened the way for God to work through his life. Jonathan, uh, it says this, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. It goes on to say that in the first attack, he killed 20 men in the size of half an acre. My yard, my, my, the property my house sits on is a half an acre. And I'm looking around thinking, that is not a lot of room to move around, literally, when there's at least 20 men who are coming at you. But somehow, this one dude with a sword, and who knows what his armor bearer had, are killing 20 guys coming against them in a very small space. He didn't wait for where he was. He didn't uh, call them down to him. He actually expended his energy. He stepped up and stepped out on his, his dime, essentially. But once he got up there, I, mean, I don't know how else to say it. He kicked butt and took names is what he did. He, he did because he had a confidence in the Lord and he knew that God was with him. And the reality, and funny thing was, this was actually supposed to be child sport to the Philistines. Remember? They were, they were saying, we'll call, them up, we'll call them up here and we'll, sh- we'll teach them a lesson. Right? There's 20 of them. There's, there's these two, two guys crawling out of a hole and they're calling them up. And once they got up there, so they had to expend all the energy climbing up there and then they're going to teach them a lesson. I mean, it's just crazy. I can see them. Hey, boy, come on up here. Well, he did. You didn't want him to come up there when it was all said and done. Because when he does, the last thing is this, is that his willingness to move set stage for a significant victory. It says that the panic struck the whole army, all 6,000 charioteers and the soldiers that are numerous as the sand, all of them went into a panic. God sends all of them into a panic. Why? Because Jonathan has this bias to action. Jonathan has this willingness to take what he believes and move it out of just what he believes or even what he knows and to put faith to it, to act. If there's an action that goes along with it. Henry Blackaby says this, you can't move forward with God by staying where you are. You and I can't move forward with God by staying where we are. On anything that the Lord would speak to our hearts, that he would ask us to do, that he would instruct us, or that he would prompt us in a moment, we can't move forward unless... We can't, we, we can't, how do I say this? We can't move forward if we're intending to let somebody else do it. If we're going to just stay right where we are and stay just, just the way things are, we're not going to move forward and we're not going to see God work in, the, in this type of a way. So this morning, I want to talk to you about your move. It's your move. And I've got three questions that I want to talk to you about as we near our conclusion. 
The three questions are going to address this. They're going to address opportunity, inspiration, and faith. This is the first question, and I think we left space in your notes, because this is really the kind of thing like you and I have to figure out what we're going to do or how we're going to do. But this is the first question. What move might you need to take to open the way for the Lord to work? Put it this way. Is there some kind of a risk, a biblical risk, a spiritual risk, a faith risk that you're avoiding? Have you been feeling like you're supposed to do something, say something, be something, do something, and you're not doing it? I know I, I do this at times. Lord, I'm not sure what to say, though. Lord, I'm not sure what to do next. I'm not sure what, what the next step is. Or, God, I don't know where, the, I don't know where we're going to get the resources to do that. God, I don't know what their response is going to be if I do that. But is there a risk that you might need to take to open the way for God to work? It's interesting. A painter, Pablo Picasso, says this, I'm always doing that which I can't do. With God, we can always do what we can't do. You may be waiting for God to act, but here's the, the truth is, he's waiting on you. God is waiting on us, and then he meets us on the battlefield. Here's the second question. Who do you need, I'm sorry, who do you, who do you need to travel with to fan your faith? So Jonathan has this young man who's carrying his armor. And it seems like that Jonathan steps out a little bit in faith, but this young armor bearer says, do whatever you got in your heart, because I'm with you, heart and soul. Here's someone who's saying, I'm with you. I will stand with you. God is with us. Who Do you have someone in your life that does that for you, that inspires you, that um, pushes you, that challenges you? I have men in my life that do all of those. Some of them inspire me. Some of, those, some of them are not inspirers. They're just pushers. They just push me. Because sometimes I need to be pushed. But they fan my faith. Who do you have in your life? And if you don't have someone, take a moment. Take a moment and let the Lord put someone's name in your mind. And then go and talk to them. Listen, we can't do this thing alone. We can't live life alone, but we can't serve God alone. He didn't intend it that way. God did not make this thing for hermits, right? He made this for family, for a body of believers that has many parts. But I will tell you this, when God puts that name on your, in your mind and on your heart, act quickly. Don't wait because the enemy will distract you and he'll try and get you to not do that, not talk to that person. Who do you need to travel with to fan your faith? And the third one is this. Are you confident? Are you confident that as you step out to do God's work, he'll meet you? I know sometimes it's like, but what if I pray and nothing happens? What if I'm wrong about what God's saying? It is true that when we take a risk like this, it moves us from the sidelines to the front lines. There's no hiding when we take risks like this. Listen, this just happened to me just this week. I was meeting with a group of pastors who I highly respect. And as far as I could tell you, pretty much of most of the people in the room, I was the, I was the little dog. And the Lord gave me a word for one of these guys. And I'm like, whoa. And it, what's worse, it made no sense. None. 
I'll even tell you what it was. I had a vision of this guy with a net. And, and so I went up to him and I said, the Lord says that he's given you a new model of ministry for your church. And it's unlike anything you've ever done before. And it's unlike anything you've ever seen done before. In fact, there's nothing like it in our denomination. And he looks at me and he starts going. And I said, the Lord says you've got this net and you're trying to cast this net. But I think you're casting a net for leaders, not for, not for, not for volunteers and not for you know the loss but you're casting a net for leaders and God's giving you people that every once in a while you get something in the net that wasn't what you were looking for and he's like yeah I said the Lord says that that's that's a bonus that's adding value to your total catch don't throw it back don't throw it back because it doesn't fit the model does it because it isn't what you're looking for you're he's sending that for you for there's a purpose and they're going to help you with the total value but they're not going to fit the model but they're there for a purpose I said does that make any sense he said dude you have no idea how much sense that makes that makes total sense to me and he leaned over to another pastor he says you know what he's talking about and he said yeah I know what he's talking about but I'm going to tell you just saying that from the outset made no sense to me and I was I mean if I was wrong I was going to look really stupid right take a risk we have to be willing to risk and say God I'm gonna I'm willing to do what you tell me to do that's my only decision today is that and then when we do God steps up and meets us where we are how many of you know who Nick Willenda is the guy who walks on the high wires he said this recently he said that he senses the presence of God most often when he's on the high wire taking a risk he's taking a risk he believes that God's allowed him to walk the high wire the way that he does to give him a voice and a voice of influence in our nation to people who would see what he's doing and then he would he could talk to them and he gets to talk to them about his faith and what he believes last thing we put in your notes today is this in the end people most often regret the chances they failed to take not the chances that they took Today we've talked about the way we need the need for us to act on our faith. I'm not just talking about everyday risks like should I buy a house or should I not buy a house or should I buy a car or should I not buy a car? Should I start this business? Unless we feel that God is leading us, but I'm talking about faith risks. Where God says speak to that person. Go give that woman a hug ask them are they okay that's that's God prompting us this morning we're going to spend some more time in worship I know you thought we only had two songs at the beginning no we got more we're going to spend some more time in worship this morning we're going to worship the God who meets us up on the high wire we're going to worship the God that when we step out in faith and we climb out of our caves of uncertainty and fear that he meets us on the battlefield of prominence and shows exactly who he is because at the end of the day this is about who God is and are we confident to act
as He would instruct. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.